Welcome to The Hack, the straight-talking smart tech podcast where we discuss the ever-changing world we live in today. It's time to start thinking differently. So tune in and buckle up for some home truths as Hull and East Yorkshire's very own digital tech experts talk transformation and change, focusing on people, process and technology. So right, we're back. Yeah. Looking forward to this one, Dean. We've got Paul missing in action, MIA. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're flying solo, but we've got guest Ed Jensen. And Ed, if we were sat around the dinner table, I always like to start with this question. It's not on your list, so we'll see where this goes. If you were sat around the dinner table and you had to introduce yourself and say what it is you do, how would you introduce yourself? If I was introducing myself from a professional perspective, I would say that I am an employment law partner at a, a law firm in, I operate here in Hull but I'm part of a global law firm, in fact, now. I worked for 20 years as initially a trainee lawyer, then a qualified solicitor, and then a partner at Rollitz, which is a really well-established law firm in Hull. I headed the employment law team there. I grew it to the biggest team of employment lawyers in this area. Ten years ago, I was recognised as a leader in the field of employment law by two different external organisations that talk to other people who are um, employment lawyers in the area. And they also talk to your clients, but you never quite know who they speak to. And I've remained a leader in the field of employment law each year for, for the last 10 years. So that's been quite an achievement. And it's one that I work towards each year. And when the rankings come out, it's something that's important to me. And as I've moved, I, I'm now tied to the Leeds office at my new firm. I've actually moved areas. So will I still be a leader in the field in Leeds? We'll have to wait and see this time next year. We'll find out. But, but yeah, when it comes to employment law, I like to think I know what I'm talking about. I think where it's been great to meet you, we went through Andy's Man Club. Yeah. Doing a talk, sharing the great work that we do there. And what amazed me, why I wanted you on the show is, you're just so passionate about people. We always talk on the show, because we're a technology company, we always talk about people, process and technology. And HR and and law is a huge part of business. We share the same passion of, it's got to be around human-centric, can not it, around people. Where does that come from, out of interest, that that sort of, because you just, you didn't seem... Like the perception of your CV and everything you talked about when and when we met and we spoke, there was just a real authenticity about people. I think actually that's why I became an employment lawyer because looking at all the different disciplines that you have to do when you're a trainee, so you do property law, you do corporate, you do wills and probate, and all of these kind of interactions with clients were quite difficult to relate to for me. Whereas employment law, I could really relate to it because you were dealing with people, whether it was the employer or the employee, you were dealing with people. And I actually think, even though I do principally work for employers, I do some work for employees as well. But I principally think that employers and employees have got it actually quite difficult. Employers have got all of the burden of all of the, the laws and regulations relating to employment. And then employees are in like a servant role. The heritage of employment law is a master and a servant. And Employment laws were brought in to protect the servant. And I think that when you operate on a day-to-day basis as a servant, it can be quite unpleasant. And the, the, the balance between the employer getting it right in terms of commanding the employee to, and, and guiding the employee to get the most out of them, and then the employee still feeling valued at the same time, it's very difficult. Huge challenge. And I think interesting on that is when we get into contracts it can get so complicated can't it and i'm a huge fan of trying to keep things simple it doesn't mean everything can be simplistic by any stretch of the imagination but 
what advice would you give before we get into the sort of questions around that for guiding employees? Because we've seen it in our industry, recruiting staff is so difficult. It's a huge challenge. We were talking off air in terms of your changing roles and all this about empowerment. How can we make it so it is win-win? It's been more difficult after the pandemic, hasn't it? Because there was a bit of a reset in terms of expectation. Employees now want the ability to work from home, work flexibly. Employers are now thinking, if I don't offer this degree of flexibility, how am I going to get the best possible people? And I do think that we're still finding our way. The big employers are now looking at four-day weeks, aren't they? Some of them have moved there already to four-day weeks. And there's been some real success out of four-day weeks. People do work work harder on the four days that they are working, but productivity doesn't drop. Even though a week drops, productivity does productivity doesn't drop. So I think that making it work for you as an employer, if it doesn't work for you as an employer, it's never going to work because the atmosphere is going to be terrible, isn't it? And we always hear about employers that are just accused of box ticking or we've had this talk, it was just a box ticking exercise. And I feel quite sorry for employers because the damned if they do, damned if they don't. Sometimes they'll get people in, Rollett's got you in. Rollett's was brilliant for it, actually, absolutely brilliant for making sure people's well-being was as good as it could be. But lots of employees will say, oh, employees will say, oh, we've had this talk from Andy's Man's Club, for example. It doesn't mean anything because as soon as they leave, then everything's back to what it was. I think an employer almost needs somebody in a full-time role looking after the people. I don't just mean HR because HR is dealing with matters as they arise. I think it needs to have somebody in place to make sure that everybody's all right all the time. And yeah. who can afford that? Well, not everybody. No, no, they can't. I think it comes down to, we always talk about culture, don't we? And we, we worked really hard on our culture, but you actually head up our culture. Yeah. Dean's, cool. our, Dean's our man for culture. And we was really big on doing psychometric tests around you know, different types of traits. And you have the most caring trait don't you, in yeah. terms of across the business. Trait, yeah. But loves to win. And what would you say around that? Trying to get that fit and that yeah. right? Yeah, God, I think when you came into the business a few years back, it was not something we ever looked at. And I think culture is what you helped us build. And it was only when Leon turned the light bulb on for me about culture is when I started thinking about it more and thinking, how amazing would it be to build a culture where you're coming into work and you're enjoying it every day, you're caring about the people you work with, and you're giving them a voice to come back and talk to you as well if there are any problems. And we built that, didn't we, from the ground up? It, it's worked really well to the point where we've got how many people come to you with issues now? Generally, we've got team leaders in different departments where they relied on that. They, if there's a problem, people go to the team leader and can speak openly. But I think it's about changing that narrative. What you just mentioned, though, in terms of traditional business, I agree, was servant monarchy, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're yeah. servant. Yeah, yeah. I think it's changed in terms of, you know, I was, me, my job as a leader is to give my teams resources, yeah. which is either money, support, ideas, but ultimately to empower them to solve the problem themselves. And, and this yeah. is, go back to the man club challenge. The man club is designed so men can walk through that door, understand that one, they're not alone, create a safe and loving environment so they can feel heard. And ultimately, a lot of people say that we fix people. No, we don't. We just help them up, give them the space so they can fix themselves. Yeah. And I think business needs to look at that, but it's just a challenge in the line of work you do with yeah. contracts. Well, money involved. I think what you said there, Dean, hit the nail on the head about giving people a voice because it's all well and good having all of their mental health training and stuff. But if you don't allow people a voice and a safe place to air that voice without negative consequences, then it's a waste of time because people will continue to bottle things up and that can actually make people physically ill if they're not able to have yeah. a voice. So I think it's a really important thing you've done there. Yeah. Love it. Shall we jump into the yeah, questions? Let's, let's so, go for so it. Yeah. with the first one. Yeah. So what are one to three books that you've read that have greatly Change your life or influence your life over like the past world. Well, 
whenever really. Yeah, this was hard for me. This was hard for me because there's a lot. You're a big reader. There's a lot. No, I listen to them all. I've got absolutely scores of audiobooks. Sometimes I'll do both if I really enjoy it. I'll get it and I'll follow the text at the same time, but principally I listen to books. Uh, sometimes if I really enjoy it, the ones that I've chosen today actually are ones that I've listened to on more than one occasion. So there's three authors rather than just three books. The first one is a guy called Dr. Gabor Mate. Have you come across his work? Tell me the names of the books that I might have done, but if not... So the first one is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Se- se- second one is actually in this order. It was first published was Scattered Minds, which is about ADHD. The second one is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And the third one is called The Myth of Normal, which is the most recent one. But the one that I've chosen today is one called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And it is an amazing book around addiction and trauma. So Dr. Gabo Mate is a, he's retired now, he's about 80, but he's a Canadian doctor. And he spent 12 years working in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which has got more drug addicts per square mile than I think definitely anywhere else in, the, in North America, maybe anywhere else in the world. And you can go into YouTube and see these like rows and rows of tents of people who were using drugs and prostitution, and it is really harrowing. And he worked in one of these hotels where people could drop in and out, and if they were getting clean, they could stay in the hotel, that kind of thing. And he talks about people's experiences, and he talks about people's childhoods. And there's kind of, there's three key things to come out of the book. So the first one is around trauma, and he's got a definition of trauma, which really speaks to me, right? And this definition of trauma is, Trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. I love that. So powerful. Yeah. So the traumatic event, so let's say it's abuse, the sexual, physical abuse, emotional abuse, that is traumatic and that is the traumatic event, but that isn't the trauma. The trauma is the wound that it leaves. So the Greek word for trauma, sorry, the Greek word for wound is trauma, which is where the word trauma comes from. And then he talks about, you'll have heard about big T's and little T's, won't you? So big T, yeah, big T traumas are things like sexual abuse and or a parent dying or something like that. But then you see little T traumas. And again, this really spoke to me. It was not bad things happening to you, but it was good things that should have happened to you that didn't. So you have a series of good things that should, like having emotionally available parents. Lots of people don't, do they? Because of the way in which society works at the moment. And that in itself could be a little t trauma. And he talks about how you can actually properly heal from traumas. He said people can go through the worst experiences, but if you heal the wound inside, then people can be absolutely fine. Next part of the book is around addiction. So he says untreated trauma creates a number of behavioral patterns. One of them's addiction and the other one is people pleasing, right? So he goes into great detail about addiction. And for me, again, this definition is brilliant. Let me read it to you. So it's any addiction, sorry, any, an addiction is any behavior that an individual pursues to find relief or pleasure, which they continue to pursue despite the fact that it gives them negative consequences and they don't give it up despite the negative consequences. So the key there is <laughs> any behavior. He doesn't mention drugs or alcohol. It's any behavior. And in fact, he lists them all in his book. So gambling sex, technology, overeating, going to the gym too much. Too much telly. Yeah, TV, power, money, all of these things. If you continue to pursue them for temporary relief and you continue to pursue them despite negative consequences, then it's an addiction. 
And just that definition blows my mind. I, I yeah. think where it's blown my mind, I don't know if you've ever done any research or heard anything on this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, Adverse childhood so experiences. I, yeah, so yeah. I remember first reading and learning about that within Post. And, uh, and have you heard about ACEs? So for any of our listeners who have not listened to it, it's called Adverse Childhood Trauma or Events. Experiences. Experiences, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and it's basically what changed my thinking and linking into trauma is it can be anything from maybe being left alone too long as a child, which yeah. might not be that bad, but your parents might work away or might work nights, maybe not having a family meal at the table together. And there could be loads of reasons from it. A, a divorce that isn't well handled by yes. the two parents. Yeah. yeah. And uh, your parents may be shouting and arguing. Yeah. And there's loads of little things. And they did this big study and just realised that we talked about on a previous podcast around, and this links back to the man club again, actually, in that what I think the man club does really well, linking into that definition you're talking about, these wounds, people normally avoid them. Yeah, and oh, we, absolutely. Yeah, and we all know yeah. this. We Bury avoid, them or post something on them. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, if you avoid the, these wounds, all of a sudden, when, if you avoid them, all of a sudden, you're walking down the street and you end up falling back into that pit of despair, as I call it. And what I see at the man club, over 94,000 attendances in the last year, men become comfortable in stories and no longer them void, they don't avoid them anymore and they get comfortable in them stories and I think linking back to that definition why I think it's so beautiful is I was only talking this weekend actually in terms of people being on social media and our devices yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and it is an yeah. addiction yeah. because and where I think it's an addiction is people spend so much time looking at other people's lives rather than actually being out there building their own lives yeah. And, yeah, and present it, in your own. And it blows my mind of how people yeah. can do that. But then it's because this technology is addictive. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's definitely an addiction. And people say that they're not addicted to it, then they're doing better than I am. Because you know, so many times I'll be, I'll pretend that it's a really, and it, it will be important, but it won't be so important that I can't interact with my three-year-old or whatever. There's a reason, there's another reason that I'm not present for whatever reason. I've got things on my mind. And the fact that I've got an email that's just come in is a temporary relief. And you look at that definition, and it's, isn't it? It, 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 it? It's the nail on the head for me because about eight years ago, my wife was ill and she was going in for an operation. The morning of the operation, I don't know if I remember telling you this, but I woke up and I got something called BFS syndrome and it's like involuntary muscle twitching, but it can be anywhere or everywhere in your body. And I woke up with it out of the blue and my back, my face, everywhere was just twitching. And I was like, what is this? I went to the doctors, he went, stress, just relax, calm down. Don't do this, don't do that, it'll go. I got addicted to reading. I was reading books. I was on Google. I was in forums and I did every, everything I did to try and help to get that temporary relief. Mm -hmm. it made it worse. Mm -hmm. It was only mm -hmm. when I actually, I think it, it took me about a year, maybe a year to, to stop reading. And as soon as I stopped reading, it went away. Oh, so I was, yeah. my mind yeah. was all triggering this, these symptoms, which was physical symptoms that I believed there was something truly wrong. And I didn't listen to anybody around me because I thought if I could just get a five minute temporary relief by reading something, what makes me feel happy? Mm. Let me stop. Mm. And in fact, it was the other way around. It's contributing to it all the time. Well, this is the challenge of human great infliction. We don't like being alone with our own thoughts, do we? I can't remember some famous no, philosopher, no, philosopher said that. Yeah. But, but the point is, you've just got to let go, aren't you? Um, mm, yeah. It's a challenge. Um, yeah. What other book did you have in there? The, the, it's, the like other, a, it's like a theme going on in it. Yeah, well, the other, the other couple, <laughs> uh, the other couple actually. The next one is have you heard of a guy called Johan Harry? Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's one of his books, and again, it's a similar theme. The, this one is it's called Lost Connections, and the subheading is the truth about anxiety and depression. And it really, again, really spoke to me. This book, 
I was diagnosed, uh, we'll probably get into a bit later on, but I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression when I was like 19, 20 and given drugs, which just did not work, did not even touch the sides. And uh, three years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia and realized that it was those things that were causing me all of the issues rather than any anxiety or depression. But this guy, Johan Harry, is the same age, early, early 40s, and he had about 15 years similar to me on antidepressants that didn't work for him. And he set off on this journey around the world to find out what actually causes it. And you guys will love this. You really will love it. So there's nine causes. It feeds really into the man club, some of this stuff. So there's nine causes, he says, of anxiety and depression. And seven of them are external factors and, and two of them are internal. So the first one is disconnection from meaningful work, which is what we've been talking yep. about yep. in relation to employees not feeling valued, not feeling that they can change things themselves, that they're just a cog in a wheel. Yep. It, that, that causes depression. The next one, which is where the man club comes in, disconnection from others. So we've never had a society that is as lonely as it is now. We yeah. say we're as... Is that, is the true, that is the true pandemic we've got at the minute. Yeah. We're the most connected society on the planet in our entire history, yet we're the most isolated and lonely, which just, just it blows my mind to think that. Yeah, I mean, we, we have accepted that living a really isolated life in a home which is quite often not near your your own parents or grandparents whereas in years gone by and not that long ago you'll have at least been in the same village and not that long before that you'd have had everyone living together yeah where we have people living really individualistic lives and competing on social media and their life life looks miles better than mine and people are getting lonelier and lonelier so the third one and again i think you'll relate to this one similar to one of, one of the guys that you had on a few months ago he says disconnection from meaningful values. He says we all have junk values now, which are driven by advertising and you need more stuff to fix you. And I can't remember who it was now. It was a guy that had written a book that was on your podcast back in February. A guy from across the river. He'd written a book. He was, I think he was in Spain when you interviewed oh, yeah. him. Oh, it was John Alexander. That's he, right. He, uh, he, yeah. He, yeah. He, it went really interestingly. Yeah. He wrote a, such an amazing book. If anyone's listening, go back and listen to the podcast. Called citizens. Yeah, I'm really uh, related yeah, to it. Yeah, and, and the model basically was saying we're going away from that servant, servant, and master. Yeah, and, and we're becoming citizens, but citizens ourselves. Where we talk about the man club, we have the power to change, and I think we yeah. have the, we need that within business as well, don't we? Have the, yeah, we need to have the power to change and influence to get better outcomes for everyone, don't we? So what he does, he cites this study, which is an American organization. It was actually a bike shop. I think there was about thirty people employed, and they couldn't stand the management, so they all left. All thirty of them left. And they set up their own bike shop and everybody to a man and woman was given the chance to buy in. And if they didn't want to buy in, then they still got a seat at the top table to talk and talk about business decisions. And apparently the overall mental health of everybody lifted because everyone felt valued and part of it. And it's like my, my new firm is like that. Like everybody can work as much as they want or not as much as they want. Do you know what I mean? Nobody's looking over the shoulder thinking, what are you doing? Why are you taking this profit share? when you're only doing this because everyone's being paid according to their own area of work and their own client base. And it definitely makes a difference. So quickly, the other ones disconnect from status and, and they say that the gaps in wealth is causing lots of depression because people think that those who have got more money and status are doing better. Quite often those money and status aren't doing that good. But anyway, yeah. they can understand why people would feel like that. That's the perception though, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Next one, disconnect from nature. I know you guys like getting out yeah, and yeah, walks. Huge, and, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 most important thing in, in yeah. the, on the planet, but we, again, don't make time for it. Yeah. And then one which speaks to the man club from what you said earlier, a disconnect from a secure and hopeful future. Now, one of your man club questions you said was about being hopeful in the future, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think what, 
I think this is anything though. Where I took this from, there's a great book, Victor Franklin's Man's Search for Meaning. Don't know if you've ever read it. No, I haven't. If you haven't if not listened, listened to it, it's incredible. And basically, using outfits, uh, I'll paraphrase, I've talked a lot about this, but there used to always be suggestion that the war would end at certain periods. And what he realized was when he was writing his notes, there's a big where Christmas is going to come and everyone's going to get released. And it, Christmas came and everyone didn't get released. And the number of deaths afterwards was just rocketing. And the only thing he could attribute it to it every single time was people lost hope. And there's so many different studies done around this. Was it death by suicide, Leon? No, just people just died. Wow. And there's a big study and a big piece on this around when we have no hope. Yeah. You know what happened? Yeah. And it becomes, when you start seeing that, so powerful. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a study, I forget the name of the, basically did an experiment with a, put a dog in a, in a cage and electrified. And put off I've, I've heard about yeah. it, yeah. And ultimately yeah. when the dog... And it felt, goes back in. Yeah. yeah. And when it felt, yeah. when it felt powerless, yeah. then started to self-harm. Self yeah. And, and so the amount of hope, the, the thing about hope is we've got to have hope. We've got to, you mentioned it a little bit off air and I think you might have mentioned a little bit on air in terms of you always like to benchmark yourself on some a table, don't you, in terms of how you're performing? Yeah, yeah. Work. Yeah. Some people that can be a bit overwhelming for them. But ultimately, we all have these standards. And mm. when we've got something to aim for as humans, I think we're amazing at going and getting something. Yeah. But it's just trying to balance that between, because I wrote a post on this, actually, is we forget the journey. And hope is about, I think, is messing things up, understanding that is okay, and having a go again is the challenge. Yeah. There was an amazing, speaking of studies, there was an amazing study in America. I think it was in the 90s. And I forget who did it, but it's cited in one of Gabor Mate's books. And it's a guy who created something called Rat Park. Have you heard about this? So heroin is supposed to be, not supposed to be, it is one of the most, if not the most addictive substance. I think alcohol is not far behind. And opioids are huge overload. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to, to evidence this study, they said, look, we've got rats in a cage and we've got some water for them to drink and some of it's got opio opioids in it and the other one is just normal water. And they're all drinking the opioid water because obviously it's very addictive. And this guy, I think he was called something Alexander, Bruce Alexander, I think. He said, I don't quite agree with that, actually. He said, these rats, they're under artificial lights in a cage. They're distressed. So they want to knock themselves out. Yeah. So he built this thing called Rat Park and it was like a theme park for rats. It had tunnels, it had vegetation, it had lots of male and female rats so they could participate in those kind of activities. And guess what? They hardly touched the, the, the water that was laced with heroin. Hardly ever touched it. And he said, look, you get the right environment for people and they won't need to not... I mean, some people will because of what that's... Yeah. Human nature. Yeah, exactly. If you look at the most traumatised sectors of our society, that's where the worst drug and alcohol use is. And it's escapism. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the original point in the book. And this is why it's so great having you on the show because I think the key to us humans evolving is learning from other stories and just continuing on this message. And then, that's, is that your three books? Uh, uh, well, the, the, just the last two points, very quickly. He says that genetics plays a bit of anxiety in, in, in anxiety and depression, but only accounts for about 35% of it. And then the final one is changes in the brain. Interesting what you said about this, you were in that state for 12 months or so. Yeah. If you're in a state for a certain amount of time, the synapses start to change and that's when you can be stuck in it. And that's like a, yeah. phys a physical symptom, probably as you were to some degree. Yeah, yeah, it was. And don't get me wrong, I've still got it today, but I've you learned to switch it. off from it and it doesn't yeah. distress me or I don't Google it every time, time it yeah. comes up. But it's weird how your body just and your mind take over. And then it all of a sudden becomes normal. Yeah. I remember I even stopped, I'd stopped drinking alcohol completely. I changed my diet. 
I went through everything and I was like, my mum and dad was on a holiday and they come back. They'd been away for about three weeks. It's like, you don't look well. And I said, I've got this. And they said, have you had a beer yet? And I said, no. I said, I've cut alcohol out completely. And anyway, that they'd, they'd bought me some beer. And on the, I think the night they'd gone home, I poured a little Jack Daniels. I thought, I'm just going to, I ain't had one. I'm going to try it. And twitching stopped like that. So then straight away, the cycle in your head is like, wait, the alcohol's not good. This ain't good. Why am I, you know? So I went back to the doctor. Anyway, like you said, then back to the rats, changed my diet, exercise. I got out in the open and I started training my body to, to be conditioned to be outside, running, football, and eventually it calmed down. But you can see why it's easy to go down that path where people do drugs, alcohol, because Absolutely. it's an easy way out, you know? Not an easy way out, that's the wrong word, but like it, that choice of just taking it and it, all of a sudden they feel okay, then the addiction comes in and... But I think the, the, the challenge, I think, something I've got comfortable understanding is I've always been very risk-averse. Yeah. But you didn't bother me as such. You just But that was back to my environment, like the way I was raised. But then what I've sort of started to realise is, and we all have this to a point, we've evolved, I think, as like we have, because we are so scared and risk-averse. And we build all these systems, processes, and things to actually protect us. So I think fundamentally when we talk about, let's use the label anxiety or depression or all of these things. For me, I always think they're just a, our body's natural way to say that we're not comfortable. We're not on the right path. Mm. Something needs to change and and trying to get comfortable with. Yeah. And just before we do jump on to the next ones, because it's our podcast, we can go out on. What I'm really interested in, because you glossed over it and you said we might come back to it, just in case we don't, is I'm just interested in, you mentioned you recently got diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. This is where me and you do share a similarity in terms of I, I got diagnosed with dyslexia in my early 30s. And for me, that was transformational in terms of all of a sudden life changed for me at that point because I knew a lot of my behaviours and actions stemmed from that and it just sent me on a path of learning. What age was you when you got diagnosed then? I think, I mean, I think it's actually absolutely changed my life. Just to go back to when I was like 18, 19, I went to the doctors and I was like you, I could really relate to what you were saying about the feelings of unease, the muscle tightness. Yeah. I was getting really bad tension headaches. And that's when I was told, I didn't say that I had any problems mentally. I didn't say I was yeah. worried about stuff or anything like that, no, but no, I was told. Yeah, but have the, this is the key thing we always talk about. We didn't have the vocabulary back then yeah. to discuss it like that. It yeah. was either, there's a box you're ticking, you have a room. And you, yeah, it was physical. Yeah, it was yeah. physical, physical symptoms. symptoms yeah. yeah. The doctor said to me, oh, you've got depression. And I thought, have I? But I remember clear as day talking to my dad about it afterwards. And he was like, the doctor knows what he's talking about. He's still my doctor now. He's a really, he's about 75. He's a really great doctor. But he was dealing with the tools that he had in the 1990s. He never thought yeah. I was doing a law degree at this point. And then I went off on this path of different physical consultant doctors. So I saw people for epilepsy. I was getting visual disturbances. I saw two brain surgeons. I had two separate brain scans. I was given, ultimately, I was given by a neuro-ophthalmic surgeon, I was given some dyslexia glasses. And they said, we don't know why, but you're responding well to these glasses. They're for people that have got dyslexia, but you just, for whatever reason, the colours, you're responding well to them. And they were like, and this, so this was about 2004, five, and they were like, but you can't be dyslexic. I remember having the conversation with my senior partner and he was like, if you need to wear them, Ed, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, these dark glasses, they look a bit strange and all the rest of it. And then, truth be told, I gave up, right? So about 2009, 2010, I gave up. And I just thought, this is me now. I've got this kind of 
constant dull headache. I, I was prescribed diazepam for the muscle twitching. And because everything was going so well at work, it was, a, it was like people look at you as though, are you making this up? Because yeah. the way in which you're performing in your professional life, your personal life, you've got loads of friends, you're, you've got a wonderful wife, you've just had a child. And I just, I described it the other day to somebody that I was just existing on a day by day basis. I was just existing. And uh, I won't go too much into it, to it here, but five years ago, six years ago, I decided to completely stop drinking. That was actually my third book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, I read in t- 2018. And your guys at Man's Club, they must have, you must be seeing people with alcohol issues. I've got, uh, I've got a few different recommendations because I've read quite a few, but that one is just incredible. It's uh, a lady who, again, she's the same age as we are. She's really honest in the lady called Catherine Gray really honest in the way in which she used alcohol and, or misused alcohol. And that for me, I think that, that was the start of the sober movement, actually, because there's a lot of people now who are sober. Five, six years ago, when I first stopped, people were like, oh, really? You know, but whereas now I'd be like, oh, you don't you drink? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not. I, yeah. I think it was really yeah. interesting because my wife runs a ladies version of Man Club in this region. And she hadn't been drinking for probably two years now. And at first, it was quite difficult for the pair of us. And I keep flitting. So when I start training, I can go without it. And then, uh, the, interesting, we had a d- debate this week and I've just come back off a stag do a couple of weeks ago, two, two weeks ago, and just nothing for me in yeah. terms of my production and everything. It's, but there's like a fine balance between it. I was with some really old friends, which was great. But actually, if I'm really honest, I was doing it more because you conform, don't you? And I think that the old alcohol conversation, but I think what, where he's, he's getting better now there's a lot more choice. Of, yeah, there is, yeah. And I think that yeah. needs to happen yeah. a bit more. Uh, yeah. So you can go out and you can have an... Except we, yeah. we get um, non-alcoholic bottles of Corona in. They, they taste amazing. Yeah, they do, so yeah. I still, so I feel, still feel... And I think there is that balance because anything bad that's ever happened in my life has always been around alcohol when I look at mm. bad decisions. Yeah. You make bad yeah. decisions the next day. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, bad food choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I completely... So I was left, I kicked drinking completely and I was left with all of these feelings and it was like, I haven't got anything else now to pour on top of it at all. And the short version is I ended up talking to a psychologist and the psychologist that was supporting me, we were talking about different avenues and she said, I think there's more to it. You know, I don't think that all of these physical symptoms are, I think you're looking down in, in the wrong place. And it was actually a sobriety podcast where somebody was talking about ADHD. It absolutely blew me away. People will say, oh yeah, I think I'm a bit like that. But when you listen to every single symptom and check off, because they're quite different, the symptoms, like they're quite conflicting. Somebody who is really doesn't like to be late and let people down is often late. Do you know what I mean? There's lots, and that's a quite a bad example actually, but there's lots and lots of different conflicting traits where you think not everybody's like that actually. And I literally checked off every single one and I went back to, to see her and she said, well, we need to get this checked so I went to to have this test in Harley Street and it was a pretty rigorous test as it should be and I scored nine out of nine on one and eight out of nine on, on, on another and then I was passed to a psychiatrist who I still see now three years on initially it was every month and then every three months and now it's every six months and the diagnosis the coping strategies the medication has absolutely changed my life I would never have got that if I hadn't stopped drinking. I'd have just still been, uh, yeah, yeah, I would, yeah. and de- yeah. dealing with it that way. But Because we, we always say at the man club as well, we, we're not comfortable ourselves. We have shown ourselves with distractions, which is drinks, uh, drinking or drugs that way. Yeah, so or gambling, or gambling or pornography yeah, or whatever. Yeah, all, all yeah. And 
or, or decorations, the nice car, the nice house, the holidays. Yeah. And ultimately, like you're saying there, it's just fascinating that you've had that, that drive to go explore all them awkward questions. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I think what it is, it? and especially, no matter if you're at the top of your game or you're just starting out, ultimately you've been vulnerable. And we always talk about this always in terms of once you're vulnerable, though, I think it's the most powerful thing in the world, getting someone to understand it, because you was vulnerable and all of a sudden you get comfortable in yourself and all of a sudden everything that you perceived in your brain when that was negative actually is your superpower, isn't it? Do you guys like Eminem? Have you seen the yeah. film 8 Mile? Right, okay. So in the film 8 Mile, talking about being comfortable, being vulnerable, at the very end at the rap battle where he says, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, I live in a trailer with my mum, that my girlfriend's cheated on me, that my best friend's an idiot. I know he's going to say all that. And then the other guy just drops the mic because he's got nothing left to say. And it's, yeah, everything's out there. This is me. I'm not going to choke because I'm not worried about no matter what you're going to say about me. And I think that in itself is incredibly freeing. Yeah, I think like... you do it from a selfish perspective because it is completely freeing. Because walking around with all of the shame and trauma and hiding it and pushing it down doesn't get you doesn't, anywhere. No. Yeah, but it's, the irony of it is it's a self-made prison. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is it. The irony. So I love that. Yeah, that's great. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. So where are we going to go next? Yeah, I'm going to jump in with the next one. So what is your feel-good song or music that gets you focused or makes you happy? Well, with ADHD, so the music's massively important, massively important. But there's certain beats and frequencies. There's this thing called binaural beats. If you put into put into YouTube, ADHD background music, binaural beats, and you see the headphones that I had on when I came here these big noise cancelling headphones, you stick some of them on uh, and you have that on in the background. My God, it's, it's honestly, it's like my synapses are being massaged in my brain and I can focus and concentrate and just power through with these, with this music. It's absolutely brilliant. There's no words to it. So that's for getting focused. I've got a couple of playlists as well. I've got like a motivation playlist that I use for the gym. I've got a feel good playlist that I use for feeling good, feeling yeah, happy. Yeah. Or if you want to yeah. raise your mood, you use it. There's a few sort of go-to songs. I love Eminem, I love Elton John. I think about my, my wedding day. We had your song, Elton John. That always lifts me. But I also love I'm Still Standing by Elton John. Yeah, um, great song. Better than I ever did. Looking like a true survivor, feeling like a little kid. Because that is, that's how I feel. I do feel like a true survivor. I do feel like a little kid at times. And it's good, and it's good. But I think, interesting. I can see you laughing there. I think that's the bit that I've found when I speak to lots of people in terms of, we have to sometimes feel like a little kid. We've got to do mm. them experiences and follow passions that we won't normally follow and be a bit silly and be a bit creative and not take ourselves too seriously, especially the challenge you've got in your job. You have mm. to be serious. We're in cybersecurity, so we have to be serious. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think one of the best things I ever did was set an out-of-office that says I only read emails for 30 minutes because I don't class myself as having ADHD. I've never done the test. I just know that my brain works in different ways. But interesting, what I found really It's quite similar dyslexia. Yeah, There's a lot of overlap, yeah. And what I found really interesting is I listen to a couple of different playlists of different music like you just mentioned, with Little Beats. And my new one at the minute is Bonobo. I listen to a lot of their music. And I use a ticking clock cool. just to force yeah. me to do certain tasks because my brain will self-sabotage. Like you mean, and I know there's certain habits and behaviours that I just hate doing, but I've got my own little system of overworking. And it's just so empowering listening again. Someone who I'm looking out from the outside in the work you do, you have to, the struggle's real. And I think it's so empowering to let other people know that. And all of these symptoms, these diagnoses, these challenges that we all have, we can do something constructive and move forward, can't we? Which yeah. I think is amazing. I'm going to the next one. Interesting on this one. What purchase of £50 or less 
has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Well, you're going to like this. I've got a, I've got a coach who helps me in almost every aspect of my life now, actually. I'd never heard of a coach before, but when I was diagnosed with ADHD, the psychiatrist said, like, medication, different lifestyles. He said, how much alcohol do you drink? So I drink any. And he was like, good, don't go back to that because the medication, the medication doesn't work very well with it. And he said, get a coach. I, I got one. Didn't, it was a, a lady, didn't particularly hit it off with her for no other reason other than I just didn't think she quite quickly if someone was your sort of person. And she just wasn't my sort of person. To be fair, I only met her online. It could have been different, but it was, she was very expensive. Anyway, then I was listening to a, a podcast and a guy called Josh Connolly. I don't know if you've come across him. He is pretty big now, actually, in the mental health space. You'll have to look him up after this. But about three years ago, when I listened to it, first listened to it towards the end of 2020, it was. It was, again, one of those moments where it was like someone was speaking to me, like this guy, he quit drinking completely. And he was like, everybody was saying, it was around people. Everyone was saying how amazing sober life is. And he was left feeling, actually, I've got all these feelings. I don't know what to do with them. And anyway, the long story short is I contacted him on Instagram. And he said, yeah, I do some one-to-one -one coaching. He doesn't anymore. He's closed his doors to that because he does too much other stuff. And I connected with him. He said, let's have a, an hour, see, see what it's like. And... The rest is history. Like we, we used to do two a month, so, some, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less, but on average about two a month. And then we've become very good friends. And about, about a year ago now, he said, I don't, we, we stop this billing. Let's just, let's, yeah, this is a friendship now. It's not, and it's amazing really. But he, and this, this is what I spent 50 quid on. He runs a group called The Uncommon Man. And what it is, it's a, a group in London that meets once a month at a place called The Uncommon, which is like a big meeting space in Liverpool Street it is. And I've only been once because it's in London and it's 30 quid a ticket, I think, but it's very similar to Man Club. So it's only open for men or people that identify as a man. And at the end, which is different to Man Club, at the end, everybody together collectively does a massive breathwork session. So a big emotional release breathwork session. So I'm really into that now. <clears throat> Josh, who is my coach, has got me into it a couple of years ago and I do lots of it myself, which I'll talk about a bit later on probably. But this, this gathering of men of all walks of life, so similar to Man Club, you've got your lawyer, your doctor, your builder, you've got everybody together standing shoulder to shoulder. And there's, there's group work at the beginning. So you go off in little uh, groups of two or three and they set you some little tasks. And again, you relate to this. It's you don't jump to fix the other person. You sit and listen because we haven't actually got a talking problem. We've got a listening problem. So yeah. people don't listen. Another challenge as well, though. Let me add to that, Ed. Us men love to fix things. Yeah, that exactly. Problem. Yeah, yeah. because people yeah, want to yeah. feel valuable, don't we? As well. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I can sort that for you because I can do this, and therefore my value is within that. Surely. Whereas the power is sitting in the mud with someone. I had Simon Sinek talking about this week, and he's like, "Yeah, we just got to sit in that mud." And for us men, at times, sitting in that mud is uncomfortable, but it's an us problem, not mm. which is powerful. But yeah, carry on. Sorry. So yeah, it ends with everybody laying on on mats and doing this big. It's optional, but everyone did it doing this big emotional release breath work. So it's 24 minutes, I think, of what's called conscious connected breathing, which is seven minutes of breathing and then hold your breath and then seven more minutes of breathing and then you hold your breath and then seven more minutes of breathing and then a massive monumental scream at the end of it, a massive scream. And people are crying, people are laughing, people are hugging each other. 
I, they serve alcohol-free beer, but nothing else. And it is, honestly, guys, it is absolutely mind-bendingly good. I cannot stress enough how good this is. He does a tour, actually. He goes around different cities. And I said, you come to Holly. So I haven't really got many people because he, he runs an online membership group called, called I've forgotten what it's called now. I did, don't yeah. worry. We'll bring okay. it back. We'll bring okay. it back. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes on the website. So yeah, worry. all we'll right. This is part of my... Actually, that's dyslexia. You can forget things as well, can't you? Yeah, it's, um, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, it's like gone. Like it's gone. Let's move on. It's gone. It's good. But he said, it's, I said, you'd have to come to Hull. And he said, Pe- people in the community aren't really from Hull apart from you. And I said, actually, I bet you I can get a few guys together that would be up for it. Yeah, but I think yeah. the only interesting thing you mentioned there, I think you're linking to journeys. I remember doing a breath work session at Tony Robbins seminar, something exactly similar. And honest to God, if you'd have told me I'd have done a big breath work session exactly like you've just described, and ever since I did it, for me, it was the most life-changing thing I'd ever done. We talk about it loads. Um, Luke, who, who runs a man club as well, he's big into breath work. We have loads yeah, of you've, conversations. Yeah, you've gone through this, haven't we? Trying to get people to do it. Really? People just don't want to do it because they find it all a bit woohoo. Or, but it's just transformation. Oh, yeah. And, and I always, I was, my lad was playing at a rugby tournament this weekend, and he was a bit nervous on a few things. But I've learned over the years to train him around his breathing. But he's big into Ronaldo. He's loving it from a football point of view. He's a bit nervous. He was playing a big team. He'd been unbeaten. And then they beat him. But he was all nervous. I said to him, what does Ronaldo do when he takes a free kick? And what did my lad do? He was 10. He breathed and he does. Mm. I watched him stood, stood there. I said, if you're nervous on that pitch today, what's the tools we've got in our arsenal? And I could watch him stood there breathing. And, it, he just got, and he's 10 years old. right? And it just amazes me that, I don't know what it is as we get older, just don't trust the process. And the most accessible way. I can see you nodding. Come on, come on. Yeah. Sure, sure. No, you're right. I remember me and my wife tried the breathing exercises. Do you remember the Wim Hof one? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. We, did, we did that. We did yeah. that for um, all of us, didn't we? I couldn't quite master the ice showers and the, no, the I ice I know. The breathing exercise we attempted and you've got to you've got to invest that time to really do it and relax and you will achieve something at the end of it. But like you said, in Hull there's a not many people They've got the mindset to be able to do it, have they? Do you not they, think they've they just... organised it and got it? Yeah, let's get it on the list because yeah. we all know loads of yeah. people from different walks of life. Yeah, that would be up for it. 100%. It'd be and great. I, I, it would be and It's great because I know it's made a huge difference in my life. You know it has mm. to. Massive, I, yeah. I, yeah. I can speak to countless men from all different walks of life who I know, but it's just something when it, like, and it's something we need to explore more because we're so quick to diagnose and take a pill yeah exactly um, and, and yeah. don't get me wrong it's got a huge point but man could we never talk about medication because what works for you might not work for someone else yeah again one of the main reasons i started this podcast sharing tips and tools yeah, things yeah. like that is huge hit him with the next one dina okay Ed, do you have a lesson from a failure of yours i've got loads but <laughs> i think the biggest one is the way in which I suppose eventually didn't give up with the medical profession and yeah. get, getting my diagnosis. I was diagnosed with something called TMJ, which is a like a jaw dysfunction for teeth grinding. And I went down this route of having all these different things fitted to my mouth when I was sleeping and all that, and none of that worked. And that was the kind of final point before I really gave up and then went back to it, as I mentioned before. Uh, and I do think back, I think if I was 30 years old again and I could have just, the next seven years have been a bit, would have been very different if I hadn't given up for that period of time. So I guess the, the lesson from the failure is, is not to give up. And I've learned now, we, we talk a lot about authenticity, don't we? We talk loads about it. Gabo Mate has got a great explanation of it. He says to be authentic is basically just getting your needs met. He says when you're born, 
you've got two innate needs. One of them is authenticity and the other one is attachment. So attachment's your primary caregivers. And the, he says that the quite often because attachment is the most important, quite often authenticity is sacrificed. You put on a sad step, you stop crying because you don't want to lose that attachment. You are you're traumatized by your parents or other people. You don't want to lose the attachment from that group of people. So you stop being yourself. And I think that for me, I probably did stop. But well, I didn't know who I was really. I was I knew who I was, the lawyer. I knew who I was, the husband. But I didn't really know who it's I was thing. myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thing, exactly. Yeah. And with the breath it's work, persona. yeah, with the breath work, I find that I can like tap into myself away from my ego when I've done the breathing because I can be trapped in my head in my rational brain all the time I can be stuck in my rational brain trying to think my way out of things you start to yeah. breathe you get out of the rational brain finally and get into your sort of core self and you actually think that's all right now I, I understand so yeah I, I suppose a, a failure of mine is or, or a lesson is learning not to give up as I did for a period yeah, I, love I love that one I do love that one what is your favourite quote or saying that if you could share with everyone in the world, what is it and why? I've tried to share it with everyone in the world to some degree because I've put it on the wall of my new office, which is, and I don't know who said it, it's attributed to a few different people, but it's, we all have two lives. The second one starts when we realise that we only have one. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I do love that. I do love that. Honestly, yeah. for me, that just sums up where I've been. And with the changing career, or at least changing my career path, the uh, you, you think that you're going to be here forever, don't you, when you're younger? You think, you do treat one day at a time, you don't think too much about the future, or I didn't anyway. And then the last few years with the diagnosis and stopping drinking, I started to think about the future. And then I say, hang on a minute, I don't have an infinite amount of time here. I do only have one life. And it feels for me that my second life did really begin around then. So yeah, no, it's great, that quote from me. Yeah, like, I love that one, because again, I would talk about a pain I had was when I lost my father really suddenly, and that was when I realised, hold on a minute, all the decisions he'd made actually was all around us as a family, and it's like, all of a sudden this ego and this persona I'd was completely counterintuitive to that, and I think ultimately you have to, these sort of, you, I think you, you said a minute ago, I wish I'd have found out, learned this sooner. But I think the quote I love at the minute as well is, everything's happened the way it's happened because it was meant to happen. Because we all won't be what we are, yeah. if that makes sense. And mm. we're all just a mix, aren't we, of all these problems that have happened to us. But I think while we've evolved so much as humans, I can't remember, I think I was reading Sapiens, I revisited that. It's about the way that we communicate and collaborate together actually isn't just because we're all nice, it's actually our ultimate survival mechanism. Mm. Because if us three are all watching each other's backs, we can get to sleep, can't we, while they yeah. talk, right? And, but that's that point you mentioned, though. We've got to be selfishly healthy, haven't we? At yeah. best. Mm. And that's the hardest thing at times. So I remember you that? teaching me bits on this, you know, going through troubles with my mum's health and my wife's health and all these problems. You've got kids and you're tackling day-to-day -day work and all these distractions, not distractions, but all these problems what are in your head. It's so difficult. I still struggle daily. It's so difficult to try and live your best life when all these th thoughts are going around your head. I'm a massive overthinker. Uh, I truly believe exercise is my is your thing. Is my thing that helps me clear my head. You're a big catastrophizer. I think the absolute worst of everything. Hundred percent. Yeah, I've been there. Hundred percent. And it's I get like it's just what you mentioned then, where you said your deep breathing techniques helps clear that, and you're mm. back in the present. Mm. And, I love that feeling when you are back in the present. Mm. But for me, I feel I need some better techniques, really. But exercise is one of mine. Well, you'll know yourself when you go do big presentations and other things. 
and he watches me do presentations. I crap myself every time I do one. I think I'm not good enough. And he's like, what do you do? I go in the toilet and put my music on. Yeah. And mm. I've got my own little, my own little jam I do routine. Yeah. Just to get outside my own thoughts to go deliver. He's like, you look confident every time. No, I'm shitting myself because mm. I've got a problem <laughs> yeah. where I never think I'm good enough. But it's never going to go away. I accept no. it. I've just got these yeah. things. And we yeah, all these mechanisms. We've got to find our own little recipes, I think. Yeah. Mm. And I think this goes That's nicely it. onto the next question. It does, yeah. We might have touched on this already. It'd be nice to hear it again, but. In the last five years, what new habit or belief has had the most profound effect on your life? Uh, yeah, we talked about breathwork already, but the other one is in 2017, I decided, I've done it a couple of times before, but in 2017, I decided that now is the time to really focus on getting fit. When I stopped drinking, I decided to start walking just 10,000 steps a day. And no matter what I was doing, I made sure I got those 10,000 steps in. Did that all throughout 2018. I ended up hurting my back, actually, doing some lifting at a gym that I shouldn't have been doing. So that put me out of the gym for a while. But then after that, I lost some weight, got more, more, into, more and more into gym work. Then the pandemic came, started running, did my first half marathon last year. I've done quite a few competitive 10Ks as well. And now I'm doing a mixture of strength work and of cardio work. And for me, I have, it's really structured on a Monday, I'm at one gym on a Tuesday, I'm somewhere else, Thursday and Friday, I'm training at home on a Saturday. I don't work, sorry, I don't train. And on a Sunday, I run between sort of five and 10 K with a friend of mine. And I try and do that every single week. Sometimes I was in London last week, we worked, so I missed the Friday, but I did it on, went to a boot camp with a pal of mine on Saturday, the guy that I trained with actually on a Thursday and a Friday. And I just, it is like you said before, Dean, it, for me, it is so important. I'm actually now doing it physically. I feel much much better i'm miles yeah. stronger but i'm actually doing it principally for up here i feel yeah more focused more energized there's loads of research about adhd and, and putting yourself under physical pressure like lifting things is actually very good for dopamine releases and stuff and again you've almost got to become a little bit selfish about that because if it's really working for you and important to you i mean i do mine very early. i get up each day at 10 past five without fail and do it at six o'clock you don't want to do no one wants to do that but it has to happen. It has to, I make it a non-negotiable. And there's plenty of times that I don't want to do it, yeah. but I do it. And there's been times where I've been training in my garage and I've lost the feeling in the end of my finger because it's been that cold, but I've You've still, still done, done it. it. And, and I think it's, it's understanding that and working into that. But sometimes life does take over, doesn't it? And it's yeah, been it okay with it. Like yeah. you, you mentioned about your injury. I started playing Masters Rugby because my ego, at first I'd missed a lot of my friends. Then we started playing a little bit too rough and my ego wanted to play and I've set myself back loads and then that's led into a couple of bad habits again and I'm just on the journey weirdly, you just mentioned about walking. I've just reviewed my weekend because I always do end of week review and I'm like, right, 10,000 steps. I'm going to make sure I get out either in the morning or night. There's no excuse. Out in nature, that's going to be my goal. We build back up and ultimately I want to get back in the gym because it always works but sometimes, I don't know if you've got any secrets this or anyways, but I don't know how you keep family life, friends, business, and yourself. For me, there's always something that just starts to creep in one area. It's the time. Doing it at six o'clock in the morning for me. The guy that I train with is, can you not do it maybe at seven or eight? But from a business perspective, I just can't. My, my wife, I'm very fortunate in lots of ways. My wife's a wonderful human being, but she doesn't work. She hasn't worked for about a year. She's a school teacher, but she hasn't worked for about a year. So from a getting the kids ready for school and that kind of thing, Tan Tanya will do that. I think if there was both of us working and I had to be home for school, home for when the older one comes back from school, that kind of thing, then I'd be under even more pressure. So I think it, it does depend on, it does depend on your home circumstance as well. But Tanya, she's 
mega, mega into it as well. She goes, the Wednesday she goes at six o'clock and then two other days she trains. Saturday she does six o'clock that, that I don't and then two other days she trains as well. So I think having the right mindset collectively yeah. is yeah, really and, important. And the right support mechanisms, again, is cru crucial. I'm going to go to the next one. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you ignore at 18? And, and what advice, if I've read that wrong, is it like, again, I, I don't know how I do this question, do I? Uh, this is Paul's, it's Paul's it? question, isn't it? Crazy how the, how the man slips. I'll, I'll go again. Know what you know now, and um, what advice would you give yourself at 18? And what advice would you ignore? When I was 18, I would, pro would probably have ignored this because I probably, I didn't listen to anything really when I was 18. I thought, I don't think I knew, I don't think I thought I knew everything. I just didn't really listen. I just was away in my own mind. And I think that people listen when they're ready. But if I could really shake myself and tell myself to, to listen, then I'd just tell myself to be, and tell people now at 18, just be curious. Don't think that you know everything. Be inquisitive. Be prepared to be wrong. Don't start arguing with people. But have your mind changed about something? Because I think that I've learned so much in the last five years. I've learned things today. I've learned things from this conversation. And I don't mind actually saying, oh, I didn't realise that. And then changing my opinion on something. And yeah, that, yeah. being able to do that is quite a skill, really. But it comes back to that yeah. initial point, though. God, we don't like being wrong, but I think it's because we're taught not to be wrong. You think the education system is always about being right, perfect, correct and right. Yeah. Actually, if we can get, like you mentioned there, how amazing is it? Like, how, what do I, what we have this, so Dean is in charge of customer success. Yeah. And we have this debate quite often, don't we? Yeah. In terms of his job is to make sure the customer's happy. But sometimes we'll get negative feedback. And what do I always say on negative feedback? Or what, and you yeah, took this yeah, as well Negative feedback's gold for us, isn't it? I mean, I've only grown into the role that I'm in now. I never thought I'd be able to do it. And the only way I've got there is by making mistakes, asking mm. the wrong questions at times. But you grow, I believe. You grow as a person, you grow as a leader. I grew as a colleague to mm. the staff as well. But I think, yeah, I think without that, like Leon mentioned before, I think before you came into the business and I was stuck in my routine of what I do, I did daily, you never wanted to be wrong. You just wanted to make sure you come in and things was perfect, correct and right every day. Yeah, so I mean, you only start growing once you, you get out of that mindset. But the, you mentioned the education system. We're told, kids are told from a young age, aren't they, that, unless you pass this test and get this right, then you're of no use to society. <laughs> yeah. But basically, that was the thing that I, I used to get given. I always remember, I won't mention the teacher because I do respect him because I want to prove the world wrong because of him. So I thank him, but I used to get given lines because I couldn't recite what he'd said to me. Yeah. And he used to tell me, McQuaid, you'll be stupid. You'll never amount to something. And I used to stand there writing lines, forgetting what he told me to write and get even more lines. And you just like, and education system is changing. There's loads more cool stuff happening. Yeah. But I think that's why this is the challenge we have in society about being right and being correct. It just blows my mind. What would you say around it? Because you are, a, for me, you epitomise the education system because to get to the position, to be, you have to follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to, to even think you've been able to get them accreditations mm. knowing what, because I did a leadership degree and I actually knew I was dyslexic. So the change that I could do mm. professional discussions, I didn't have to write them down. Whereas me going back years ago, I couldn't do anything because I couldn't even, I didn't even think I couldn't write it on a piece of paper. <laughs> I ended up just actually persuading myself that I was lazy. I knew I was, I knew that I was bright enough. I knew I understood things, but I just thought well, you must just be chronically lazy. I went back to, <laughs> I went back to my, and lots of people with undiagnosed ADHD think yourself. that. Yeah, yeah, completely. And then it, it feeds the narrative of worthlessness of then your value is in pleasing other people and you become more of a people pleaser and all the rest of it. 
But I went back to my school about a year after I'd been diagnosed with ADHD, so about two years ago. And I was chatting to one of the teachers who's retired. And I wasn't certainly talking publicly about it at that stage. I was telling friends and family, but I wasn't talking publicly about it. And he said, I said, oh, it's changed in here. And he said to me, there were some railings. And he said to me, oh, you'd have been sitting at the top, not paying attention, swinging your legs. And I thought to myself, actually, the reason I wasn't paying attention, but I didn't tell him. And I just froze. And I went home and told my wife. My wife was like, you should have told him. I thought, yeah, I should. But and here I am two years later talking to you guys. I've got, I try anyway, to have a lot of compassion for people. He was doing his best at the time. He was a bit like the doctor. He was dealing with the tools that he had. Your teacher, he was giving you lines. I used to be know. really angry for a long, lot of years. Yeah. And that's what I think that showed in the way I used to handle myself as a leader. I think I used significance and I was probably more aggressive in my language, but that's because that's how them other leaders led. And I think what I learned, like you mentioned from, a, I'm a huge believer now. Everything that's happened to me in the past has actually helped me. It's my greatest strength. And it's, but it's understanding that. And he just didn't have the tools. He didn't know what to do. He was just, and I think he was trying to motivate me because he saw something in me because if he didn't care, he wouldn't have done anything about it at all. And, and he was just using the tool of the stick to beat me. And that's all he had back then. I think that's just life, isn't it? I think. Have you heard of a guy called Mo Gaudat? Who's, yeah. who's one billion happy. He's trying to, he's written a book called One Billion Happy, I think. He lost his son age 20. And he says that, is that what you just said, Leon, which is everything and e even the loss of my son has happened for a reason. Yeah. And he says that after he's been given these huge lectures, the people who've had really terrible bereavements and at the end of it, he gets everyone to say, so would you change it now? And he reckons that by the end of it, end of his course, people don't want to change the past because they've ended up where they are for a reason. And I've always found that quite fascinating, really. And I try. Yeah, and but yeah, but it's, I, it's true though, isn't it? It's like the, the things I, I always say this, for me, losing my dad, I was my best friend, my confidant, I would go to for everything. I don't think I would do half the things I do with my children now, having not had him and speaking the way I speak and do a lot of the man club things I wouldn't do. And then you could argue that, yeah, I've lost one of the most significant relationships in my life. But then let's look at this podcast. I've built a new friend, a new colleague, mm. a new contact. And we're constantly doing that because ultimately you've never met my dad, but his value is just through meeting me. Right? And all of a sudden, I think life, when you go and get out of these and let connections happen as humans, we're amazing. The things mm. we can do, the things we can achieve. And again, I will come back to the mental health challenge. One of the main reasons you are in here is I don't think there's a bigger problem we've got on this planet than stopping people taking their own lives. And more needs to be done. And it just might be one idea from this podcast that you just mentioned. It might just spark yeah. that inspiration in someone to set off on that path. And what gives me goosebumps is to think of that ripple effect. It just it blows my mind on that. Where are we going to go next? I'm going to jump into this one. I don't know. Exercise is one of your big things, do you know, but for the listeners out there, do you know, we all feel bent out and unfocused and unenergized at times and overwhelmed me particularly. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do or what questions do you ask yourself to help you get out of that situation? There's a little video online of Tom Hanks talking about this. Have you seen it where he says he's sitting around a table with three other people? This isn't my answer, my answer, but it's a, but it's a good, it, one, to, good one to context. go and watch. <laughs> He, he, he says, when things are going great in your life and to think uh, basically things couldn't get any better, he said, you really, at that stage, you need to think this will pass, this will really pass. And then he says, when things are going really badly in your life, you need to think this will pass. He said, nothing's permanent. It's a yeah. great little video. You, you actually, yeah, like, we had a check-in, didn't we, just yeah. recently? Yeah. Oh, like a leadership check-in with each other. Because we always do it every week. We have 10 minutes for Dean, 10 minutes for me, 
and 10 minutes what, what we're gonna, and we help each other we both help each other and uh, you'd mentioned something around that in terms of you know as bad as it was I knew it, it was a presentation one that he was doing yeah and he's brilliant at doing it he does these presentations we both do them and he's absolutely brilliant but he wakes himself up into this massive pot and you come back yeah. and went I don't know what I went with what was no, no. the biggest presentation you've you ever done do, wasn't yeah, it do you, know, do you know what it was because I'm, I'm an overthinker I'd, yeah it was the big, biggest one I'd ever delivered and it was the best one I've ever delivered I thought it went really well it, and it did go really well. The reason it changed my mindset at the end of it was because the, my colleague who was with me at the time had said that was brilliant, best one you've ever done. It's first, Leon's been really good because Leon's got me to the stage where I'm out in the field technically by myself. No, doing, you know, you've doing got yourself to the So you give me some real good feedback, can't you, about <laughs> change this, do that. And it was the first time I'd come away where I felt confident delivering it and I actually got the feedback to say it went really well. And it was at that point I'm thinking, why... All that stress and worry before, why did I put myself through all that pain to then come out the other side feeling complete opposite? Ho- hopefully, with something like that, hopefully you'll have grown from the experience. Because yeah. when you're yeah. operating at high stress levels and then the stress subsides, you actually have a bit more room. So hopefully the next time you won't be as stressed. Yeah, 100%, Ama- yeah. Am- amazing what you just said there, Leon, about it. I think you called it a check-in, did you? Yeah. Because that's my actual answer to this question. I mentioned, I mentioned my coach, Josh. So every single week on a Monday morning, without fail, apart from if one of us is on holiday, Monday morning, we do a check-in and it's normally when we're driving to work. He lives in Swindon. I live obviously here, but we do uh, an emotional check-in where it's, how was your weekend? What's, what's the week looking like ahead? And then the other one, some, he was first this morning and then I replied and then he replied and then I replied. Sometimes it'll just be two minutes this morning. Mine was quite a long one it was about eight nine minutes which I think is actually the longest one we've ever done and that for me having somebody else sometimes sit in the mud sometimes things are going brilliantly for me at the moment I, from a work perspective the move has been brilliant all the rest of it so quite a lot of the time it's actually me saying to Josh I've got this on I've got that on it's going brilliantly but just doing that just me saying that into my phone actually lifts my mood yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. wow they're yeah. like they have because I've had to do it yeah. I've had to tell him what's going on I've had to tell him what a brilliant weekend I've had. I've, had... I've got a theory on this though, because this links back into the man club. Because we, it sounds like it's exactly a check in. Yeah, uh, and I, I actually think it is emotions or energy. Is my theory? But it's energy in motion. I yeah, think that's yeah, what the yeah, word emotion yeah, means. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know where I've heard. I think it was Bob Proctor, or, or I think taught me on one of his seminars. It was basically that when we don't express ourselves, we depress our emotions and we don't go forward. And I think what I think is amazing is. Just getting outside of your own thoughts. Because I see this at the man club, but when you watch, because I've sat in that many sessions now and studied that many faces, I've become a, you get to read the room and you see different things. And what happens is what someone actually thinks and when they express it, and then because no one's fixing that problem, you mentioned it earlier about being a great listener, we pass the ball on and the idea is to stop anyone trying to fix that person, just to let them sit in. And when they come back around, they've never verbalised it. And they've never heard back what they've said. And I think it's so massively important that we actually do express ourselves more. Hey? Yeah. And not, we don't do it enough, do we? No, and it's like, like I just said, then the check-ins, what we do once a week. We do it and it's like a scoring system. So you'll say, score yourself out of, I don't know, one to 100 in this area. And if oh, I say, have, is it face-to-face? Or? Yeah, face-to-face. Yeah, 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 we have yeah. five areas though. And I, uh, we use like a platform called Giant. We talk about it a lot. But ultimately, it's like, how are you doing physically, mentally? How are you doing... Like, friends and social that way. Yeah. How are you doing provision? And there's a couple more metrics, but it just gives us a real quick health scorecard in these sort of five areas. And what that allows us to do is when I've checked in with Dean, I don't matter or vice versa, 
we've got some talking points. So be, tell me more about why that one's why that's so low. It just starts that debate really quickly. Yeah. But then also, then we just did for a little question. Like, what are you going to do about that? So we don't actually, yeah. it's just, oh, oh, and what we say is to be a healthy leader, we're just trying to hold a mirror up to what's like on the other side of us. And if we haven't got them five areas sorted, we're not going to be a healthy leader. And, and ultimately, to be a great leader, you've got to be able to lead yourself, haven't you? Is, is, the, yeah. is, is, the, is, is the crux of it. Yeah. So, no, so yeah. I love that. Is it me next? Shoot. All yeah. right. Yeah. Who in the world would you like to interview, past or present, and why? I'm going to go for the guy that I started this conversation with, and it's Dr. Gabor Mate. He has had such, his work has had such a profound effect on my life. And he's written another book, which I didn't mention, which is called Hold On To Your Kids, which is about holding on to, make, making sure the relationship with your children matters more to your child than their friends do. And he, he talks in great detail about the attachment theory and all the rest of it. And I just love to, I understand all the addiction and trauma bits and pieces. I've watched all sorts of YouTube presentations that he's done on it. I've read all those books, but I just like to get to the bottom of his thoughts around parenting because it's a struggle, isn't it guys? <laughs> parenting is, it's really tricky. Yeah. How old are your children? Big age gap between mine. So my youngest is three and the oldest is 13 this year. So ne nearly 10 years. They're amazing. Yeah. The two of them and they've got, they're really very close despite not being close in age. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons that, that Tanya decided to give, have a bit of a break from work because of the, being pulled in different directions yeah. from the two kids. But yeah. yeah, it makes parenting quite tricky at times. And I think, interesting, you have a young family, how old are you? Yeah, yeah, I've got seven and two. He's three, right, three okay, next yeah. month, so three, yeah, three-year-old. I keep forgetting, man, that he's 12 and 10. Uh, ten. But again... It's that age-old thing, isn't it? Is they just teach you so much, don't they? Yeah. And you always think that you're teaching them, but just this week, and we've just been a, a rugby weekend, like I keep mentioning, Bobby Bolling. Just seeing how in independent they are, and I've I felt like a bit of loss this week, and they don't need us. <laughs> but it's just a, it's just everything's just a journey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I can really imagine that because I've got the three-year-old and the 12-year-old, I'm still needed by the three-year-old, but the 12-year-old doesn't need us at all anymore. And yeah, if we just had her, as we did for a long time, I can imagine, I can't imagine I would be feeling, I think we'd be feeling pretty, pretty lonely, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This side of it as well is, like I told you, because they've got access to technology and they learn things so quick now and YouTube and all these different things. And I'm a huge fan of technology, if it's applied right. They're just so clever now, what they can do yeah. and how they know things. And it just inspires me and every day is a learning day, mate. So what do you mean by that then, Leon, if it's applied right to me, if there's rules around how much you yeah, use? So, so for example, I've talked about this before in terms of, let's take our iPhones, for example, right? Or Android phone is, even on my own device, I have metrics set up where it locks me out of my social media apps and certain apps because I know they're not healthy for me for long yeah. periods. But we've, because we're lucky we've got a technology company, we've got controls on where we can limit the, the time spent on individual applications. So that, yeah, they can have the YouTube, they can have that, but there's certain learning apps that I want my children to do. I want them to read so many books or listen to so many audio books, do certain mathematics and then do certain things. But then I also use technology as an enabler because they might not want to do that piece of homework or that thing, but they'll do it because the lives are all on these devices. As much as I don't want my, my, my daughter to, to be on TikTok, I've had to subdue because I understand from a social point of view, our friends are on there and there's certain engagement, but. I limit the time she has on it. I limit certain things. And when you go she on it, but not everyone, unfortunately, has the tools or the mechanisms like us because we're an IT company. We can monitor and we can set things yeah. up. So that's the bit what does worry me a little bit in terms of not everyone is as fortunate to have the tools to set this technology up to protect them. But 
I always talk about technology being a tool and it's as us as parents to go on that search. To, we, we can't just say that, we, oh, we don't do technology. We have to understand mm. it. Everybody, we talk about in business, every business yeah, yeah. is a digital business, but every home's a digital home. And, and how are we going to use technology to, to help our kids empower us to do things better, faster? Yeah, no, that, that's what we do. And I was, we've got the capabilities to switch the internet off at certain times, but we're trying to trust now as Merkham, which is seven, but we're at 6.30 on an evening. So we'll have tea together, 6.30. We're getting maybe half an hour on the phones from six o'clock onwards. And then that's it. We put them away at half past six until the following morning. Esme's not allowed to take it upstairs. There's downstairs, and that goes for us as well. Oh, it took the words. I'm not going to say modeling, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. have to do it as well. Yeah, one of Johan Harry's books is called Stolen Focus. Wow, it's amazing, absolutely. I have actually, I actually read that one. I was thinking, yeah, I have actually read that one. And, yeah, yeah, and ultimately, it links back into you know when we do giant, yeah, uh, where your focus goes, energy goes, and we always talk about devices. What yeah. devices have we got? And we've we have this like leadership score as well. So every night days, me and my business partner go off site and do the business planning. But we, it's like a format we're following across the business and we have a quite big debate actually because we have a we have leadership scores so our own team give us 360 feedback mm. in certain areas I would we have our personal leadership scores but we also get spousal scores don't we yeah and how painful was that our first one we introduced yeah, that really. as you do as well in terms yeah. of really and one of the questions wow. one of the questions is brings a fair amount of work home has his phone around the dinner table and all these metrics and I remember first yeah. doing it and we have debate about this now, don't we? You have to send me this. I'll send you it. And, <laughs> and what, what was this? I think my original scores, because we have to present at, like a, t 10 other companies like us, but all at different st stages of the journey. It's called you a men, MPD, Member Performance Dashboard. All your financial numbers and all the rest of it, and all, all that stuff. And then you have your leadership, your personal, all the rest of it. And I think my, bear in mind, I just left that other big business, set up my own business, and then it's merger. I think I was like 40% out of 100. I was like so far away from where I should be. And it was the most lonely experience ever getting up and presenting it. But then I'm scoring in the 90s yeah, now. You are. Yeah. You all give me grief. Yeah. Don't you? But yeah. it's because I'm consciously choosing to do things around my wife and their needs. Ultimately, understanding that the, if I haven't got, we can all have a bigger and better business. We can have more money in the bank. It's ultimately about relationships, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's about connection, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When, it. when you're by yourself, then what, what is... That's the point. Yeah. For me, it's making that distinction around... We've got to do stuff that makes happy. I love tech, and, and I know I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. The business is a nice way for me to follow my passions. They... Well, them scores have been brilliant to get the work-life balance, haven't they? Because I thought I was really good until the server went out to my wife, and she texted me and she said... <laughs> She went, how honest do you want me to be? And I said, just be 100% honest, because I thought, I'm going to be pretty good. Yeah, I was shocked when it came back. Yeah. But I needed to know, because what I mm. thought want, want a problem was a big problem in my house. And it was something as simple as, I past six, phones go away. That's brilliant. Yeah, and it's a little thing we mentioned, didn't we, in terms of, it's like one of the questions, bring a fair amount of work up. I didn't realise a pattern I had, or a tendency I had, was... I make sure that when I walk in, that I go to my wife first, make sure her day's been good, check in, give her a big cuddle, and then go to the kids and make sure everyone's all cool. But what I didn't realise I was doing, I'd done it for years, just a habit. I would sit on the drive and go through phones and my phone calls and the rest of it, and this sort of opened my eyes up. Actually, what I was doing was my, my daughter would come out and I'd be like, shh, I'm on the phone, or, yeah. and I'm driving over, and what am I teaching her? Actually, now I've got set markers where I know that I need to put some music on to get me out of work yeah. mode. The reason why I have my out of office that I only read emails at four o'clock is because I know I've got a system in place that can deal with that. And I think 
we're not sometimes prepared to put that work in, are we? No, but it does help. Like the set mark is what you mentioned then. I've got my set mark and also on, on the way home, I get to a certain point. If my phone rings whilst I'm at that point, I don't answer it because I'm five minutes from home. Mm. And I don't want to get engaged back into work when I'm nearly at home. I need to be switching off. Like you said, pulling up on your drive and you're still on the phone and your, your daughter's coming. She's real happy to see you and you're having to push her away. And what you're teaching them actually is that they're not as important. Correct. Yeah. Because they don't yeah. care how su successful you are. They don't care how important the client is. They just want you to be with them in that moment yeah. and prioritize them. And yeah, I, I think that there's loads and loads of lessons there, loads of lessons that with it being my own business, with me only been there for, for six months, I am, I never switch off. I'm always on and I need to. We'll send in that server. Yeah. Yeah. It's painful. <laughs> Tanya, my wife has, has been, yeah. it's painful. She's been so supportive, but there will come a point where, yeah, they'll yeah. definitely come. Uh, and it, sometimes it's just those tiny little tweaks, which make a massive difference. It's like, mm. I get my family back. Saturday nights used to be the worst because we'd let everybody go on the phone. So I, I still do it. Now. I'd look up and there's my wife like that, me like that, my daughter like that, my son on his iPad. So we've got it to the point where it's actually seven o'clock. You can have it half an hour longer on a Saturday, but we're going to have a movie night as a family. Whether we're liking the movie or not, we're going to sit through the full lot and we're not going to touch our phone. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and last question, Dina. Yeah, last one. I've loved this podcast, by the way. I said you would, did I? Um, last question. So is there anything we should have asked you, but we didn't? The, the only thing, people quite often want to talk to me about employment law. We haven't talked about that. I'm very happy not to talk about that. <laughs> but the only thing I think that is pro probably be useful for anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you had asked me, what do you struggle with? Which is something I was asked on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I'm glad that they did ask me it because I said loads of things. I said, I struggle phenomenally with many different things. And what I don't want to do is for anyone listening to this to think it's easy having ADHD and dyslexia and it, cause it's not, it's really tough. And I've got loads of systems in place now to help me to be as good as I can be, but there's still loads of things I struggle with. I struggle with light. I struggle with temperature. I struggle with overwhelm. I struggle with physical anxiety at times when I'm not expecting it. I'm not even anxious about something. It, it will just hit me. I'm a chronic overthinker. I still have tendencies in relation to people pleasing and validation and loads of things. So I'm like a massive work in progress. I don't want anyone to think, oh, he's got it all sorted out, so it must be easy. I don't want any parent to sit yeah. and listen to this and say, what do you mean? This guy had dyslexia and ADHD and he was doing really well because... Every day is a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Every day is a struggle, but it's just one that I'm almost enjoying now, if that makes wow, sense. That's, yeah, that's... And that, but I think that's the ultimate message that we all got to share because... I think you've got comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And once you get comfortable with yourself, the people pleasing will always be there. It's just recognizing it. But, but I think I love that book called The Go Giver. I'm a big fan yeah. of that. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a fantastic little book. And it's all about you can have everything in, you want in life if, as long as you give everyone else what they want in life. But it doesn't mm. mean, it, it doesn't mean about being a walkover. And once you get, get it right and you understand it, right, let's take this podcast. You've come out of your way to help us share some value. Just, because that's what you want to do. It's a good thing. But you'll get loads of, you'll have learned some stuff in this podcast yourself, like we have. Yeah. And I think life is about giving. That's what we're talking rather than, unfortunately, the narrative that we're so, and this is what John Alexander in his book taught. We think we're trained to be a consumer. Yeah, yeah. It's about what we're taking, what we're getting. And actually. It, and if you get this, you'll feel better. Yeah. yeah. And it's ultimately, it's actually, I think, I don't know who's quote this is, but it's actually about what I'm becoming. And that's what life is. I absolutely love this podcast. We've gone miles. It's what an awesome podcast it's been. Yeah. I think we could have been here another. Yes, I think uh, we yeah, probably could. Yeah, yeah, we could. But I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for turning up, showing up and being your true self. I, th I think it's been awesome. 
Is anyone had anything yeah, to do Yeah, same for me. I think it's been brilliant. I think if anybody, I've learned loads about myself. So I think if anybody out there, you know, has listened to this and could take one one piece of advice away, then I think it'll could, could be life changing. And the last bits, where can people connect with you? Where, learn more about you? And we'll put all this on the blog, but just so we've got it. The best place is my website, really. Website or LinkedIn. So edgenison.co.uk. And yeah, all my stuff's on there. Pre- previous podcasts and articles and all my email address, my office here. In the old town in Hull, obviously connected to the Leeds office as well. But yeah, that's probably the best place. Awesome. So that's Leon checking out. It's Dean checking out. That's Ed checking out. Thanks, Ed. Latent plug. Think differently about your business IT. Let's face it, it's impossible to grow a business without digital technology. Now more than ever, with everything going on in the world right now, businesses are struggling to manage, protect and work in the cloud. Transform your business IT with expert support from ThinkCloud. Learn how the most successful businesses in your sector consistently generate up to 20% higher revenues at 30% lower costs. You've come this far. You got this. Check out www.think-cloud.co.uk and book a call today.